Okay, good morning. I'm delighted to be um, <clears throat> have the last Sunday in the year. This is great. I, I, I love sort of prolonging Christmas. Um, if you're like me, you, you can't really pay attention to Christmas until after it's all over and you feel like you missed it. And um, so this is a great way to go, oh, yeah, what were you doing last week? You know, what was that all about? And um, so that's where I'm going to try to um, take us this morning. Um, I love this passage. It's um, it's all about, you know, it's this concept of dwelling. Um and, and, you know, a, you, dwelling is a verb and a noun. You know, you dwell in a dwelling. And, um, but it's all about home and place. And um, l- last week I was on a surge, in a surge prayer meeting. And I'm, you know, distant. And so I'm online. And um, at a particular time in the prayer meeting, all the online people hang out and talk and pray and and um, <clears throat> one woman just sort of interrupted the whole thing and said, I just have to tell you guys, we're buying a house today. And she was so excited and she just kept talking about this house. We've never owned a house. We can't believe we're going to be able to get this house. It's so great. And I just had to tell you. And I was like, big deal. What's the big deal? And we went on and we prayed for some other things and um and then, and then another colleague online with us, he came on and said, I just have to come back and say, um, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that you've, able, you've been able to do this because I think home ownership is a little bit like heaven. And I went, what? You know, but it, but it was really interesting because I was thinking about this passage and I thought, Wait a minute, Hunter, just hang on. There may be something here for you from the Holy Spirit, you know. And so I've been thinking about that, and I've been thinking about this idea of dwelling and home and place. And, and uh, I, I was reading in this book by this congressman from Nebraska named Ben Sass, who wrote this book called Them. And there's this great illustration there where he talks about these folks in... Um, and some city decided to love the homeless. And so what they did was they got this big track of land. They bought this track of land, turned it into a cemetery, and offered the homeless people plots to be buried in. Sounds kind of morbid and weird, right? Well, it was the biggest hit. They loved it because, oh, there is a place for me. There's a place, a sort of a last place, but and it'll have my name on it so that I will have a place and I will not be forgotten. And I think about how powerful that is and how powerful it is, that longing in us. I think about the caravan coming from Central America. What do they want, you know? I want a place. I want a place that's safe, that I can flourish that I can love and that that I can raise my family you know the longing for that is so so powerful um and so you know John is talking about this is John's you know 
description of the incarnation, this massive, uh, you know, arc of the whole scripture that climaxes in the incarnation. Um, He uses the word, you know, he says, and the word became flesh. Well, the Greek word, as you probably know, is logos. And um, that word was particularly powerful, that whole concept. For the Hebrews, of course, it it came straight out of Genesis, the first chapter, where the word of God spoke, moved into chaos, and brought order and shalom, flourishing a garden, a place where people could survive and thrive. That was the Hebrews' understanding. Very clear, beautiful. But also the Greeks understood Logos to mean this amazing power, this unseen power, this unknowable moving power to create um, that, that was their description of this unseen force of nature, their understanding of God. And he says... This Logos moved in and took on flesh and became one of you. It was unthinkable for the Greeks. It was was a crazy idea for them. For the Hebrews, it was unimagined. And they didn't understand it. So he takes this crazy idea and he says... The word became flesh. It put, there was skin on and he made a home, a dwelling. He came to live with us. One translation describes it as he moved into the neighborhood. And that's really the picture of this. It's the, it is the climax of the biblical arc where, um, you know, that starts in the garden where we're walking with God in the cool of the day. We were friends. We, we talked together. It's kind of what you do in a neighborhood, isn't it? You hang out. And then sin came and we were expelled from the neighborhood, from this beautiful place of flourishing. And from that point on, God is about coming closer and closer and closer through his relationship with Abraham, this, you know, uh, counting him as a friend and Moses, he wants to see God face to face. They build the tent of meeting, then the tabernacle. And with the kings, there's the temple. So God is coming closer and closer. There was always this distance. But God is dwelling with his people. And finally, the incarnation, where is at the apex of this, or at least we think it is, where God is coming to be here in person, God with flesh on. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. It's not the final iteration of this. We are in the Next to the last iteration now where Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. But that's the picture. That's where we are. Jesus comes to move into the neighborhood. And then John describes it and he says, you know, we, we have seen him. We saw him. We, 
I don't know about you, but um, I, I think if you want to get to know me, you got to move into my neighborhood. You know, really. I mean, it's like, it's like, who are the people that you call up and say, hey, have you got any leftovers? You want to, you know, put them with ours? Just come on over, you know. Usually that doesn't happen with people that are like 25 minutes away. It's usually the people that are like right next door. And you see people on a regular basis. You're in their garage or basement and you're seeing how they live and what they look like. And John is saying, we saw Jesus. And it's interesting because he, what did he see? He saw, he said, we've seen his glory. Now, I... <clears throat> I don't know what you think of when you think of glory. Uh, usually we think of bright lights and, you know, transfiguration or or some or and I don't know what you think about when you think about people. When you were to say, I saw the glory in that person. What, what is that? How do you describe that? But. Isn't it really their character and. Their choices, their preferences, the beauty of this person, how they live, who they are. Isn't that the glory that they saw in Jesus? Uh, Surely it was. It was his sacrifice, um, his love for people. It was also his... Willingness to confront evil. And it was his grace. In fact, he describes it as we saw him full of grace and truth. Both of those things were part of that glory. You, you know that, don't you? You, you? you love that. You love the mercy, but also the justice. They have to go together. They've got to be together for it to be glorious. Well, You know, again, going back to creation, the creation story was all about God coming and breathing uh, order and shalom into chaos and then building this gorgeous garden where there was flourishing. And then then he says to the, you know, Adam and Eve, "Okay, I've been a gardener and now you're a gardener and you keep pushing back the chaos. You keep doing this. And certainly in the same way, the, this incarnation idea is not really for us to always kind of look and go, wow, isn't that an amazing thing? Look at what God did in Jesus to bring him here so that we could see him and learn from him. But there's more. You see, because the whole point is, that incarnation would begin to be part of what you are. And that you are the same thing, doing the same thing. That if you're a believer, what happens is, is that this next iteration of dwelling is the Holy Spirit who comes and resides in your life and changes and continues to change you to what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 3 as ever-increasing glory. Do you like that? You You like that description of you? That you are being changed 
with ever-increasing glory. You're glorious. A lot of us just go, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) I'm a little uncomfortable being called glorious or somebody wondering if I'm, you know, looking for my glory or some, you know, those words, it sounds like we're, you know, not supposed to talk like that. But that's the picture here. That's what incarnation means, is that you and I are, we're moving out into the world. And we are incarnating this beauty, this character. That's who we are now. That's the commission that we have been given to go and move into a neighborhood and live there with people all around. Now, I don't care what kind of neighborhood it is. I don't care if it's your school or your work or your neighborhood or just where you hang out, a third place in a coffee shop or something. But that's, that's the idea. Don't miss this. Don't leave it up there as a theological idea. You must realize that this is you too. You have been called to the same idea. Because the, the truth of the matter is, is Jesus didn't stay in our neighborhood, did he? He was crucified. He died and was buried and was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so he doesn't live in our neighborhood anymore. But what he said, in fact, in, later in John's Gospel, in, in the 14th chapter, um, he quotes Jesus as saying, now look, I'm, I'm leaving here, I'm leaving the neighborhood, but it's going to be a good thing because I'm sending another. But what I'm doing is I'm going to prepare what? Like a dwelling. I'm going to go prepare, I'm going to go to where we're all going to be. You see, the final resting place is not a grave. The final resting place is this place with Jesus. That He is working. He's, that's our final place. I've started reading Lord of the Rings again, you know, just because it helps me. And um, it's really good for sermons, you know. And, um, but one of the things that always bugs me about... Um, about Lord of the Rings is, you know, my I have one that's like all books in one. It's about that thick, you know. And and Rivendell is my favorite, one of my favorite images in this story it, because it's a place of rest, isn't it? It's where all your favorite humans are and you hang out together. And I love the image of, you know, they tell stories that last all night long and they sing and drink and smoke and they and they the, the animals are at rest and everybody is so deeply rested and it's just this beautiful place but it's this far into the book and i know they're not going to stay there and it always bugs me because i want to stay there but you see that story Mirrors our story. We want a home. We want a place to be. We want to hang out. We want it to be safe. But you see, this other part of being in, 
incarnation <laughs> is that the mission of God is out there. It's this bringing order and shalom to chaos. This mission of God to be Him with skin on. To be Him in the world in the most difficult and hardest places in the world. That's the mission of God. It's not to stay in the final resting place or try to build it here. But it's this great adventure. And I don't know where you are in that. I want to tell you a story that is a story. You know, and I look, I know that there are probably, if I had the time, there are a thousand stories in this room right now that I could find. I promise you, I could find them about what, you, what, ha, what it's been like for this last year for you to do this. You may not even know your own story. The way that God has used you as an incarnation in this world. But I know that they're here. This one is one that I know about. It's not here. It's with some of the least of these in the world. In one of the poorest countries in the world. But it's a beautiful story. It's actually a blog from a surge missionary that I read. And I went, oh my gosh, I love this. And I'm just going to read it to you. uh, As though you were reading her blog. It's from a place called Burundi. And she was volunteering in this hospital there. That all the surge doctors run. About five months ago, a baby uh, boy was born in a field just up from our hospital. For reasons we will never know, the mother left the baby there and disappeared. Thankfully, a hospital worker heard crying and found the baby very shortly after and quickly brought him to the hospital. Our pediatrician checked him over and miraculously, he appeared to be healthy. Due to the risks of being born and left in a banana field, he was also put on a course of IV antibiotics to make sure he didn't contract an infection. Like all the patients at Kibuye Hope Hospital, this baby was required to have a caretaker, someone to be with the patient at all times to help with their care. Since this little baby had no one to care for him, some of the other mothers in the NICU pitched in to help. Despite needing to care for their own premature babies, they helped with his feeding and care for him uh, the first couple of days he was there. We knew we needed a new plan to care for this precious baby. By this time, I had started calling this sweet orphan baby Moses. And you can imagine why. At that time, uh, at the time that that Moses was in the NICU, there was an eight-year-old with a terrible bone infection recovering in in our surgical ward. Claria uh, had been given, uh, had been in the hospital for many months at this point, and had endured several painful procedures and surgeries. I had gotten to know Claria and her mother quite well after spending time visiting and playing with Claria each day. It is common here to refer to women as Mama plus the name of their oldest child. I admired Mama Claria. She was quiet, gentle, patient, and faithful. She was right next to her suffering daughter every minute of the day, holding Claria down during painful dressing changes with tears in her eyes and comforting her with quiet whispering and prayers. 
When I explained to Mama Claria that we had a two-day-old baby with no one to care for him, there was not a moment of hesitation. She said that if she could remain in the surgical ward by her daughter's side, then she would be happy to care for baby Moses. Now, uh, she not only cared for her sick daughter, but for this newborn. She never complained. She never asked for anything. She had spent months in the hospital, away from her home, her husband, and her other four daughters, and now cared for a newborn. Yet she was content. I have learned so much and still have so much to learn from this faithful and beautiful, strong and quiet woman. She treated Moses like only a mother, loving mother could, changing him, feeding him, singing softly to him, whispering in his ear. Burundian culture has a special ceremony for the first time a baby is tied to its mother's back where, she, where it will spend the majority of the next year. I had a, the privilege of being there when Mama Claria tied Moses on her back, caring for him as her own. Every Friday I have the privilege of seeing baby, sweet baby Moses as his foster mama brings him back to the hospital to collect form, more formula that we have been providing for him. He is growing and thriving and is loved. A few weeks ago, our family ventured out one Saturday morning to find the home of Mama Claria and baby Moses. Even though we took someone with us to translate who was born and raised in this area, it was still not really possible to understand directions. So we arranged to meet her at the, at the closest road. She jumped in the back of the truck with Moses on her back and led us the rest of the way. We followed a series of small dirt paths, each getting consecutively smaller until finally the Land Cruiser couldn't fit anymore. We parked the truck there on the footpath, bananas on one side, coffee bushes on the other, and followed Mama Claria to her house. Their home was a small mud brick home with a neatly swept dirt floor uh, yard surrounding uh, with a fence and of woven sticks. We ducked through the short door and to be greeted in this one room. It was maybe the size of our girls' bedrooms, but instead of housing two girls' beds, their clothes, books, and a space to play, the room was everything. This is where the eight of them slept, where they uh, eat and do the girls' homework. There's a small room off the back of the house for cooking and a little hallway that connects the two spaces, which they used to store a few hoes and small cook pots. They gathered up enough chairs from the neighbor's so that we could sit in their neat one-room house. They told us how happy they were to have Moses in their family, how the girls adored having a brother, how Papa Claria didn't hesitate when his wife told him about the child. As we sat and visited, they told us about their hope that Claria would be able to return to school this fall and how they hoped they could find someone to sell them milk for Moses. Like most families around here, they struggle to feed their children. They don't have luxuries like running water or electricity, and they work hard just to survive. Yet this couple was eager to extend what they had to help care for this child who had entered the world in such dire circumstances. Their family insisted in walking us back to the truck, and as we did, Alma, her daughter, and Claria ran up ahead to see the two girls, my daughter and a girl who had been immobile, in horrible pain, and sad for so many months. Skipping down the path was a gift I can't describe. There are a lot of hard things here, and getting to glimpse just a little bit into the lives of Claria, her sisters, her mother and father, and her new baby brother helped me see that in a new light. 
both the extent of difficulties, the depth of sorrow, the complexity of poverty, but more importantly, the joy of hope and the light of love. A pretty good story about moving into the neighborhood. I wonder what you connected to in this story. wonder what questions you have or what moved you in this story. Obviously, there's an interesting parallel to Moses being rescued and raised by a wealthy princess. And the contrast with Mama Claria raising him at great sacrifice to her family. It's beautiful, isn't it? Maybe you're struggling with uh, your own life of being a neighbor, trying to figure out what does it look like for me. I, I wonder uh, how you see the world with abundance or scarcity. Uh, obviously, this little family saw it with abundance instead of a lens of scarcity like there's never enough there won't be enough there were a number of beautiful women in this story who were Jesus with skin on weren't there I'm proud of them I I love hearing this story Uh, one woman that I um, read this, sent this story to, and she and I were talking about it. She, she said, you know, she has two adopted children and, and two more. She said, you know, um, my son, Buma, was abandoned just like Moses. And she said, everyone who hears that story thinks I'm the hero. And thinks, you know, they love it. They always say to me, you guys are so great to have brought him into your family. But she says, they don't understand. Buma was worth it. The value in this child that was abandoned is so important. And it was such a beautiful way of seeing this story so differently. And once again, an incarnation person saw this and pointed it out to me. And I I thought, yes, that's right. What would I want to say to young Moses as he heard the story about being abandoned in a banana field? What would he grow up believing? What would he think? And I... What would you want to say to him? 
What would you want to say as an image bearer with purpose and dignity? As someone who understands that you're a priest in the creation temple, that's the job you've been given as an incarnation through the Holy Spirit working in you. That that you have been called to move through the world, bringing order and peace and shalom to the chaos in your sphere of influence. What would you want to say to Moses? Well, that's that's our message to everyone, isn't it? That's our message as image bearers. Oh, you don't have any idea who you are what you have been created to be. And if I could connect you with your Creator, if I could help you see His glory, oh, I would like to do that. I believe that's who you are. As I I can't see you in the balcony very well, but I'm thinking about you. That's who you are. There's glory. I would love for you to just like open the door just a little bit to that this morning. (laughs) You know, as you think about your own life and as you think about what has happened to you. With this Holy Spirit invasion. That has changed and is changing you. Amen. Amen. Well, Father, we um, oh, we just we do forget, we leak, and we need to remember again today this beautiful calling that you have given us. It's unbelievable that you would invite us to do this work that you started. So bring us joy in that. Help us to lay down our model of scarcity and pick up a model of abundance. To accept this weight, this weight, this image of God weight that we bear and carry it. And I just would ask for blessing this morning as people think about a year past and a year coming, as we think about incarnation and we appropriate it in our own life, in our relationships, in our neighborhood. What a story we're in. We're just so thankful. Amen? Amen.